Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and around the world, this is your host for the David Harris Jr. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another show with your host, hopefully one of your favorite deplorable brothers right here, David J. Harris Jr., and today, I have the privilege and the honor of having a true patriot, somebody that is absolutely being railroaded by activist judges, somebody that's close, personal friends with the president. And I believe it's because he would not cross that line of saying, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. Or I'm going to talk about what, uh, what, we, what we spoke about in confidence. It's because he would not do what so many have tried to do, and that is talk trash about the president or, or even say anything that he didn't need to say. My guest today is somebody that is facing uh, a very harsh sentencing, but we're going to do a deep dive into a whole lot. I've got a lot of questions for the man, the myth, the legend, Roger Stone. Roger, such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on with me today, my brother. How are you doing today? Thank you, David. I am delighted to be here. You know, I I haven't been able to speak publicly now for 16 months. Roger Stone, who can't talk, is like Usain Bolt that can't run. It's what I do. And the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Daily Beast, the rest of the garbage media, have sown so much disinformation about me about my case, about my relationship with the president, about the 2016 campaign. And I have been powerless to respond, to correct any of it. So there's just a huge body of disinformation out there. I was convicted several months ago on 70 criminal counts, but most, most Americans couldn't even tell you what it is I was charged with. Most of them would say, oh, something involving the Russians. Well, it had nothing to do with the Russians. And I recently got a ruling from the judge in which she denied my motion for a new trial based on egregious, really blatant, flagrant juror misconduct. The journalist Mike Cernovich learned that the jury forewoman in my case, uh, a Democrat who ran for Congress, had trash talked both Donald Trump and myself personally on social media in 2019. And then during jury selection, she pretended like she had no idea who I was. So she lied to get on the jury. And then after my trial, she shut down her social media platforms to cover her trail. And she opened a new one, which to me is even further proof of a cover-up. Unfortunately, these arguments were not uh, compelling with the judge. I mean, the Supreme Court has ruled that every American is entitled to a jury uh, that is both indifferent and and neutral. Uh, that is uh, that is not in any way sullied. But in this particular case, that did not uh, that did not move the judge. So. It has been a very long, strange adventure, to say the least. Well, I think we all remember, um, and, I, and I could show the clip here on how the FBI shows up at your door 
CNN is there and drag you and your wife out in the middle of the morning. It was like 5 or 6.30 in the morning, I believe. And it just so happens that CNN happened to get tipped off to this. I mean, the public smear campaign was absolutely astounding. Um, here's the clip. This is exclusive CNN video. This is what happened this morning before sunrise, just before 6 a.m., when Roger Stone, longtime uh, Trump associate and advisor, was taken into custody by the FBI. There's a moment of audio on here that I want to play for everyone because this is what the first sounds that Roger Stone woke up to this morning was the FBI pounding on his door and shouting this. I want to just play this for a moment. What what was that like for you and your wife to get drug out of your home at gunpoint in the early hours of the morning with news crews all over the place? What what was really going through your mind right then? Well, first of all, I think you have to look at the buildup. So for one solid year, CNN, uh, uh, MSNBC, The New York Times, Washington Post predicted that Roger Stone will be charged with treason, with espionage, with trafficking in stolen emails, with being a back channel to uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Uh, uh, and then suddenly there's a new leak. Robert Mueller now has Roger Stone's banking records and financial records. Roger Stone associates marched into the grand jury. So this was all building to a crescendo. I knew I wasn't going to be charged with Russian collusion because there is no Russian collusion and there never was. I also knew that I had done nothing illegal, that all of my sources were perfectly legal. I predicted correctly that the WikiLeaks disclosures regarding Hillary Clinton would be devastated, and they were. I predicted correctly that they would come out in October, and they did. It's that simple. I did have what's known in our business as a credible source, but it was not an illegal source. In any event, uh, on a Thursday, I got a call from a producer at CNN, not somebody I would call a friend, but somebody I kept at arm's length, and she said, uh, gee, I want to mail you something. Can you give me your home address? And I, I knew exactly what was going to go down. I said to my wife at dinner, well, honey, they're coming tomorrow morning to arrest me. She said, you've been saying that for a year. I said, no, tomorrow morning, it, it's going to go down. So um, she didn't believe me. Um, I set my alarm clock for 5 a.m. Uh, so I was awake. I took a shower. I put on my Roger Stone did nothing wrong t-shirt and I was sitting in an upstairs bedroom window, actually bathroom window where you can see the entire front yard. And sure enough, a camera crew from CNN showed up 15 minutes before the FBI. Wow. I didn't know this at the time, but I live on a dead end street, at least I did then. And the street had been sealed already by the FBI. So I, was, I wasn't facing multiple news crews I was facing one news crew. All other reporters were turned away. All other onlookers were turned away. In any event, uh, there was a pounding on the door, uh, and I learned that 29 heavily armed, long rifle, SWAT team uh, 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 outfitted, 
FBI agents had surrounded my house. They had arrived in 17 armored vehicles. There was a helicopter overhead. Uh, I now know by looking at the security cameras that there were two amphibious units that pulled up uh, on the canal behind my house. Frogmen, also game, uh, armed, uh, completely surrounding my house. They had a canine unit with dogs. They brought this huge battering ram up to the front door as if I wasn't going to answer the door. Uh, and they started pounding on the door saying, FBI, open the door. So I did. Uh, and uh, they said, are you Roger Stone? I said, I am. They said, please, uh, you're under arrest. Please step outside, put your hands behind your back. And I did. Now, this is interesting in view of the fact that I have no previous criminal record. I don't own a firearm because, although I strongly support the Second Amendment, in Florida, you can't have both a medicinal cannabis card and, uh, and a firearm. Because I have glaucoma uh, from a detached retina, I get some relief, or at least I used to before I was uh, put into a program now where I am randomly drug tested from medicinal marijuana, which is legal in Florida. Uh, my passport had expired. So I'm not a flight risk, nor am I a danger to anyone. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they take me out in the middle of the street where I'm standing in handcuffs behind my back, wearing my T-shirt and a pair of shorts. They go upstairs, and my wife, uh, who is hearing impaired, she's virtually deaf without a a hearing aid, uh, has heard none of this. They scare the daylights out of her. She thinks it's a home invasion. I'm thinking, good God, what if they yell a command at her? She doesn't hear them, and they shoot her because they don't know she can't hear. But they then march her out to stand next to me in her night clothing and bare feet in the middle of the street. All of our neighbors are looking at us. CNN has their cameras grinding away. And um, it, was a, it was a circus, to say the least. Uh, now, what's ironic about that, David, is the special counsel's office had spoken to my lawyer the day before. All they had to do was say, we're going to be filing charges against your client. Please turn yourself in at the federal courthouse. And I would have. That is the way it is usually done for a nonviolent, white-collar process crime. But instead, they had to try to make me look like El Chapo. They sent more people after me than they sent after bin Laden. So at that point, the FBI agents, who, by the way, didn't come from Miami, but came from Washington, uh, I said, you know, I'm entitled to know what the charges are against me, and I'd like to speak to my lawyer. And they said, well, we're going to take you to the processing center in Miami, uh, and when we get in the car, we'll show you the charges. And when I looked at the charges, I... I I started to laugh. Lying to Congress? Really? You've got to be kidding. Uh, James Comey lied to Congress. Yeah. James Clapton lied to Congress. Yep. Uh, John Brennan lied to Congress. Yep. Uh, later on, McCabe would lie to Congress. Trump lied to Congress. Hillary lied to Congress. This list goes on and on. Uh, you have to be kidding. Where's the Russian collusion? There was none. Where's the cyber crimes? There was none. Uh, and then they add on top of it uh, that I witness tampered because I allegedly threatened a witness, which I deny. And in, at trial, he denied. He said he was never threatened and he never felt threatened by me. 
evidently that was not compelling with the jury either. So uh, what's interesting is the Office of the Special Counsel blasts emails my indictment to the entire media and puts it up on their website at 7 a.m., but it wasn't unsealed by a federal magistrate until 9.30 a.m. So their very first act was illegal. And here's the mistake they made. In the uh, meta tags for the document, it was written by Andrew Weissman, the dirtiest of the dirty cops. Wow. This should make every single warm-blooded, patriotic American just absolutely irate. I mean, you're, you were saying it. I was thinking it. It's like they didn't, they're treating you like El Chapo. They're treating you like a drug cartel leader that they've been tracking for decades and then finally found and sent everybody they could and then made a public spectacle about it by having seen in there. The fact that they had the your street cut off, but allowed CNN to get inside. I mean, again, this is just a prime example of why the president repeatedly calls CNN out as fake news and shares that they are the enemy of the people. They were there for the optics. They were there to try to embellish the optics of what the slanted mainstream media had been saying against you and targeting you. And again, you go back to the entire thing. It was all supposed to be about Russian collusion, and there's there's no collusion. So, Well, and interestingly, to this day, the FBI has refused a Freedom of Information request from Judicial Watch for all email traffic between CNN and the FBI in the days before my arrest. So Judicial Watch has sued the FBI to get access to those documents. And I hope ultimately, I know ultimately, we're going to learn that there was indeed coordination. Uh, CNN says this was just a shrewd reporting. This was the shortest stakeout in American journalistic history. In any event, they then took me to the FBI processing center. I was photographed. I was I was uh, fingerprinted and taken to a federal courthouse in Fort Lauderdale, um, where I had to appear before a magistrate for bond. Uh, they threw me into a cell, a cell with three African-American gentlemen. By the time I left, they were Donald Trump supporters, I might say. <laughs> but they kept they kept me in there for oh, a couple hours. Uh, and then I went before the judge and the government did not ask for a cash bond proving that they never thought I was a flight risk after all. That was their whole justification for the way this arrest went down. By the way, the taxpayers, we believe they paid as much as $1.1 million for this extravaganza because the government was closed and therefore all those agents were on time and a half. Uh, and they proceeded to set up a tent in my front yard and then tear through every square inch of my home. Uh, every square inch. They also raided my office uh, in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, actually Oakland Park, in my apartment in New York City. They tore them to shreds. They just dump everything on the floor, pull out drawers, dump them on the floor. Uh, you know what they found? Nothing. That's what they found. I mean, it, it, is, it is indisputable that the, the Mueller Get Stone Task Force all Hillary Clinton supporters, by the way, headed by Jeannie Ree, a woman who was Hillary Clinton's personal attorney and an attorney for the Clinton Foundation. No prosecutorial experience. She's in charge of getting Roger Stone. Uh, Aaron Zelinsky, this guy is the worst slime ball I've ever met. Just a, an arrogant punk, 
uh, Yale graduate who was Hillary Clinton's deputy counsel uh, at the State Department. These are, by the way, the career prosecutors the mainstream media would later say resigned from my case. Every one of them was a political operative. Uh, in this case, Mr. Zelensky told a federal judge to, to justify these search warrants that they had probable cause, evidence that shows that I had money laundered millions of dollars, false, had received stolen cyber material, false, uh, that I had engaged in campaign finance-related violations, all false. They couldn't find any of this. So they then, I believe, shared the fruits of all of this uh, material from my computer, my text messages, my phone calls over a two-year period with Adam Schiff, who then concocted questions that were all immaterial for my hearing, where I went voluntarily, by the way, who goes to a hearing voluntarily if they're going to lie? Why would you just not go since I hadn't been subpoenaed? And every question for which I would ultimately be charged was asked by, guess who? Adam Schiff. And none of them were material, such as, do you remember getting an email from Steve Bannon? No, I really don't. Aha, you did get a, an email from him on this morning. I said, yeah, but the content in the email came from that morning's Washington Post. It doesn't matter. So these were really, it was a contrived indictment. Why did they go to all this expense and all of uh, this bother? Uh, it became pretty clear on July 24th of 2019 when the prosecutors offered me a deal. They basically said, you have had, you had 37 individual phone calls with candidate Trump in 2016. Most of them lasted more than a half hour. If you would come clean and be honest about what was actually said in those calls, we could work your charges out. We know what that means. Yeah, and I and I I refused. Uh, and my lawyers, um, who frankly I was very disappointed at well, at trial in at trial, said, you know, you ought to think about this offer very carefully. You could be you could be facing hard time. And I said, gentlemen, there's nothing to discuss. I'm not going to lie about my conversations with the president of the United States to ease the burden on myself. I'm just not going to do it. So um, that is why I'm in this position today. Um, when I came out of the courthouse, they wanted you to be feared, fear for your for your life, for your safety, for your future, for for your wife. They want you to be fearful of all those things, come at you with everything and then set you up and say, give us something on the president. Uh, give us something on Donald Trump, and we'll we'll lighten your sentence. Sentence. That, that is that is that's exactly exactly right. And the first thing they do is that is exactly what the president just said a couple of days ago. That the heads of the FBI, especially during that time, he was speaking about you. He said the heads of the FBI at that during that time were absolute scum. Well, we still don't know who approved this raid on my home. I mean, we could have saved the taxpayers one point one million dollars by simply contacting my lawyer asking me to turn myself in, which I would have done. The point here is that I came out of the courthouse. I was defiant, so I flashed the famous Nixon double V sign. Boy, the judge doesn't like that. Uh, but what I didn't know at that point was that, in my case, the judge was basically going to prohibit me from using any of the powerful lines of defense. So I argue. Comey, Brennan, uh, all these others had lied to Congress and not been prosecuted. I am being prosecuted. That's selective prosecution. 
No, you can't argue that. Uh, the underlying premise of my indictments, it's in the first three pages. The Russians hacked the DNC and gave the information to WikiLeaks. There is no proof of that, none. The government admitted at my trial that they relied solely on a draft redacted report from uh, CrowdStrikes, a Democratic-affiliated IT firm, for that assertion. And when I began to yell about that, that's when they tightened the gag order on me. There is, to this day, still no proof that the Russians hacked the DNC. The prosecutors in my case filed a sir reply with the court saying we have additional evidence, but we can't make it clear because it's national security classified. That's a lie. There is no such evidence. Uh, the, the conduct of the government during my entire trial was just egregious. Uh, the judge reasoned that my speaking out to defend myself would taint the jury in D.C. Well, what about the Washington Post or the CNN? Were they tainting the jury? Uh, nonetheless, um, I had been gagged, uh, and I've stuck to the gag order, which was extremely broad. I couldn't even call David Harris and say, David, post this on social media or say this on a TV show, or that would be a violation. So I had to just stand by and watch my character be assaulted every day. Roger Stone, the self-described dirty trickster. David, I've never described myself that way. Never. You can't find it anywhere. The LA, LA Times tried. I demanded a correction and I got it because they couldn't find any self-description. That's what Democrats have called me, usually the ones I've beaten. So uh, it, it's just typical of the kind of smears that I've had to live with. It's so unfortunate that that's the current state of our uh, of our country right now. Um, I, I'm really thankful for you, for your integrity, for your desire to not succumb to the fear with the full power seemingly of the FBI coming at you to then try to get you to give up something or create something to get out of your own, uh, to get out of their trap. Uh, really want to commend you for that. Let me ask you about this. What's what do you know what Secret Service's nickname is for Hillary? I, I thought it was Evergreen. I'm not sure. But let me ask you this. Do you think that the NSA still has all of her emails? Oh, I, I would bet that they do. Look, the New York Times reported on January 20th of 2017, the day Donald Trump was sworn in, that I was among three people who were wiretapped uh, by the national security apparatus looking into Russian interference in our election. Page one, above the fold. The Times has never retracted that story. The government vehemently denied it at my trial. I believe it was accurate then. I believe it is accurate now. Uh, it, it's a very creepy thing to know that somebody is going through all of your personal communications over a long period of time. Uh, and is one of the reasons why I chose a trial not to take the stand, because it would be impossible to remember everything you've done over a two-year period. And all you need to do is, is not recall or to be incorrect, no matter how innocuous I learned, uh, and you would be charged uh, additionally with perjury. Uh, but it, it was um, uh, interesting that the jury makeup in D.C., where statistically there should have been at least one Republican on the jury, or one Trump supporter on the jury, or one military veteran on the jury, uh, or one blue-collar worker on the jury, 
or one juror who had less than a college education, but there were. This was a jury. Uh, it was comprised completely of people who hate Donald Trump. Some of them admitted it. Uh, the jury questionnaires are sealed, and I cannot discuss them. Uh, but they they were troubling to our legal team. Uh, when Juan Williams said on Fox that there were Trump supporters on Roger Stone's jury, that is incorrect. So Tucker Carlson was right. I, I, I was barred from making any of the powerful arguments uh, against uh, the case against me. Uh, I was ultimately convicted of lying to Congress about the Trump campaign's interest in WikiLeaks, a matter that candidate Donald Trump himself mentioned 142 times in September and October. In other words, there is no underlying crime to lie about. There's no motive to lie. In order to violate the False Statement Act, you have to, it has to be intentional, and it has to have a motive. It has to have a purpose. Right. There was no purpose. This is the best they could come up with. I think I was targeted not only because I refused to turn on President Trump, but because I had written the book, The Clinton's War on Women, which is the definitive oppo dump on the most corrupt two political figures in American history. I know that it drove them crazy. It is thoroughly documented. You can still find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or you can go to the Stone Cold Truth uh, site in the store and you get an autographed copy. Uh, I think I was being punished by uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, agents uh, for writing that book and for leading the lock her up charges uh, at the national convention. Uh, I also think that I was targeted because of my long relationship with the president. I started trying to talk him into running for president in 1988, again in 2000, again in 2012. I have always believed that Donald Trump is the one man with the fortitude and the guts and the courage and the independence to be not only a great presidential candidate, but a great president. Nobody owns Donald Trump. He, he got to the presidency, got to the White House, owing nobody other than the American people. No special interests, no special pleaders, no special funders. He is truly independent. He is his own man. And all he cares about is what's best for the American people and the country. He's always been a patriot. So um, I believe that's the other reason I was targeted. They're very vengeful about the loss of the 2016 election. They don't understand. They just got outworked and out-hustled and outsmarted by Donald Trump. Well, he had some amazing individuals like you around him as well. So uh, you you said that you how long have you known Donald Trump? You said you you would. I've actually I've actually known him, David, forty years. He attended my wedding in Washington D.C. to my wife. Uh, uh, I met him when I was sent to New York to organize Governor Ronald Reagan's campaign for president, and he was recommended to me as someone who might be willing to join the Reagan uh, uh, Finance Committee. Uh, which he ultimately did. He raised a couple hundred thousand dollars, which in 1979 dollars is a huge amount of money. His parents, Fred and Mary Trump, great people, also big supporters of uh, Ronald Reagan. Close personal friends of Barry Goldwater had, had financed his campaign. The Trumps have always been Republicans, even though the local politics in Queens is Democratic. His parents were both rock rib Republican conservatives. And Donald was a registered Republican his entire life. 
except for the short period in which he left the Republican Party to join the New York affiliate of the Reform Party when he was briefly considering running as the Reform Party candidate for president in 2000, which if he were here right now, he would tell you, Roger always liked that idea better than I did. It's true. He never ran. He gets angry when people say you ran and lost. No, he never ran. He agreed to look at it. He spent about a million dollars exploring it. Ross Perot was pushing him to do it. Jesse Ventura was pushing it to do it. And then one day in his office, he said to me, you know, what if I run and I inadvertently split the conservative vote and I elect Al Gore? God, that would be awful. I'm not running unless you tell me I, that I have a uh, that I can win. I said, well, there's no guarantees in politics. It's a tough race. And he said, well, maybe another time, but I'm not going to elect Al Gore. And he wisely decided, sadly, that you can only get elected as a Republican or a Democrat in this country. Uh, it, it is, um, it is uh, going back to something you said earlier, David, the first thing they do when they want to make you do what they want you to do, testify in this case against the president, is they destroy you financially. I have literally lost everything. I lost my home. I lost my savings. I lost my insurance. I lost my car. Uh, I, I have no income because I can't speak. I speak uh, and write. That's how I make a living. But the topics that people want me to speak and write about are the very things that I have been barred from discussing. Uh, it has been very, very hard on my family, but they have never wavered in my decision to plead not guilty and to fight. We knew the odds of victory uh, were overwhelming. The federal government has an unlimited army of lawyers um, where, and uh, an unlimited budget. The D.C. Circuit is among the most liberal in the country. We knew the odds were not good, but I was not going to plead guilty to a crime that I had not committed. Uh, and lying about something that was openly known, it doesn't even make sense, but that's the best that they could come up with. It was, um, it was a, a really difficult uh, and tumultuous time. And then, I guess it was back in March, uh, a friend of mine, Randy Coggins, uh, who's a young evangelist preacher, uh, from Florida, uh, gave me the same advice that Reverend Mark Burns, who's become a good friend of mine, gave me. And they said, you know, you really need to turn your fate over to God. You really need to, to reacquaint yourself with Jesus Christ as your Savior. I had been born a Catholic. I had had all my sacraments. I always believed in, in God, but, you know, I had some pretty wild times when I was younger, and I admit that I had strayed from the church. And then uh, Randy Coggins took me to meet Franklin Graham, and I poured out my heart to Franklin Graham about how, how much turmoil I was in, how angry I was, uh, uh, and how unfair all of this was. And he said, you need to turn your life back over to Christ. You need to ask Christ to forgive your sins, to come into your heart uh, and take control. And he has. And David, from that moment, when I stood up and witnessed and confessed my sins, is when we began to learn almost immediately about the juror misconduct. And their entire framing of me began to fall apart. So I'm very much at peace right now. And I thank those who gave me that very solid advice. I know there are skeptics who are going to go out there and say, 
oh, Roger Stone's just posturing for sympathy. Uh, it's a head fake. Uh, you know, I don't really care what they say because he he knows what's in my heart. Yes. Yes, he does. Well, that was going to be another question I had for you was uh, about meeting and visiting with Franklin Graham. Brother, I just got to share with you, I am so excited to hear about your decision to turn your life over to Christ. You know, my audience is pretty broad. I've got a lot of individuals that uh, that watch and, and listen to me because of my news, because of my views on politics and current issues. And some of them don't believe. I, I have a big audience that does believe, though, as well. And I love hearing what you said, that you've had you know, times in your life where you were doing things your own way. Lord knows I, I've done that myself as well. I'm an ex-addict. You know, I shouldn't even be alive today, but because of God's grace and his goodness, um, he, uh, he didn't let go of me and he didn't give up on me. And, uh, and it's because of him that I am even here today and have what I have today. So to hear you share that you don't care what people think and that you feel peace, that's the peace that passes understanding that you only get, that one only gets when they've truly given their life over to God. Uh, and then to hear that the, uh, the the issues with the jury started to come out after that, I, I just want to take a moment if I can. I know it's right in the middle. I like to pray at the end, but I really felt Holy Spirit. I really felt God's presence when you were just sharing. And I just want my audience right now, uh, everybody watching or listening, to just pray and believe uh, for you and with you, Roger. But I just want to speak and declare, Roger, that God is with you. He is for you. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just continue to strengthen not only Roger, but his bride, that you would continue to expose every plot, every plan of the enemy that has been to bring destruction to Roger and his family, and that you would turn it all on its head, that you would cause it all, every weapon of the enemy, every single thing that the enemy has tried to do through people, that you would cause it all to work together for Roger's Good. And then, God, I ask that you would repay, bring repayment that the enemy that has tried to steal, that, that has stolen, that he's lost all these things. He's lost everything, his house, his car, his savings, his insurance, that, God, that you would repay, that the enemy would repay tenfold what's been stolen and taken from Roger because it absolutely was an attack. So, Father, I just pray that everybody listening, watching right now, we just pray and believe God for absolute abundance and favor and clarity and justice, justice for Roger and for his family. And so that Americans would know what truly went on and why it happened so that we could hold those individuals accountable as well. So I just release that blessing and that favor and that grace and your peace, Papa, over Roger and his family right now. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take that moment, brother, and and give that. You know, David, it was like having a cement block. It was like having a, a cement block lifted from your chest. I left the revival that Franklin Graham was having with a. I, I was serene. I had a new sense of peace. I knew that this would all work out. Uh, and now we're we're back to the double standard. So, in the last couple of days, as I'm sure you have read, Michael Cohen has been released from prison. Michael Abenaki has been released from prison. Yep. This afternoon, the judge in my case uh, released uh, uh, Rick Gates, who uh, perjured himself at my trial, uh, from his uh, weekend confinement. 
yet she has ordered that I turn myself in next Thursday uh, for the beginning of a three-year sentence, three and a half years, uh, and a fine that I think is $25,000, which I don't have as of today, to say the least. Uh, it, uh, again, I, for somebody who is 67 years old, uh, and at least as a child, I had serious respiratory issues, and therefore there's some damage to my lungs, I think it is a death sentence. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not worried because God will never leave you. God will always protect you as long as you're honest with God. He knows everything. So um, I, I am obviously hoping and praying for the best. But I think most Americans understand that I was a political target. Most Americans know that I am not a traitor, although leftists call me that in the street and people want to take a swing at you. I've been called every name in the book. There is no Russian collusion. The same people who tried to set up Donald Trump are the same people who took me down. With Rick Grinnell, who I think is not only a terrific guy, but a great appointment, now declassifying all the documents that show that from the beginning they knew there was no Russian collusion. The president understands that the same people who are trying to kill me tried to take him out. I'm just collateral damage. Thank God they didn't get our president under some false pretense. It's the same, it's the same cabal of criminals, uh, uh, Mueller, Comey, Brennan, Schiff. The list goes on and on. This is the permanent government. Doesn't matter who's in office, whether it's George Bush or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton. The deep state, what Dwight Eisenhower used to call the military industrial complex, dominated by the neocons, wants to sap our national resources in all kinds of expensive foreign wars where we our national interests are not clear, continue to dominate the government even with a reformist president with a clear reform agenda like Donald Trump. And they are desperate to get rid of him because they hate his agenda. They said he couldn't rebuild our economy. It can't be done. What are you going to do, Donald? Wave a magic wand? Well, that's exactly what he did. He cut taxes. He cut regulation. He built the greatest economic comeback in American history, destroyed by a biological weapon from China, either advertently or inadvertently. And you know what? He will rebuild the economy. America will be back stronger and more prosperous and wealthier than ever before because he understands the fundamentals. He is exactly the right man at the right place at the right time to guide our country. I have absolute confidence that he can lead us back from the current crisis to prosperity. Uh, we're stronger and more respected around the world than ever before. He's rebuilt our military. Our law enforcement love him, and he loves them. There's a big switch from the past. Uh, I cannot tell you that how completely fulfilled. And I, was, I always thought he could be a great president. He has exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think he, even if he were to be defeated, which I don't think he will be, he will already go down in history as one of our greatest presidents. I couldn't agree more. Obviously, I don't know him and haven't known him like you have. So to to hear that from you and to know your background in history, working on campaigns all the way back since Ronald Reagan, and to understand your keen eye and insights into politics, wanting to have Donald Trump run for president for so long, now to see him and see what he's done and that he did have that magic wand. And we've had some of the most incredible numbers, records broken, 
uh, in so many different avenues and venues in our country in the last three and a half years. Now, especially because of this current pandemic and crisis, now's the time where we need Donald Trump as our president like, like, no, like no other time in history. I mean, we absolutely, I believe we, we avoided an atomic bomb with Hillary not becoming our president. I share with my audience all the time, anybody ever needs, just for you too, Roger, just if you're having a tough day, one thing you can always just remember, remind yourself that should put a smile on your face is Hillary is not our president. <laughs> that he wins in 2020. You said something about the virus being either advertent or inadvertent. What is your, do you want to share if you have a gut feeling on whether you, whether or not? Well, obviously I'm somewhat distracted. Obviously I'm somewhat distracted by my own situation. Uh, and I do follow it, but regardless of whether this virus was um, sent to us by mistake uh, in an accident or whether it was done purposely, there are some people who are using it, exploiting it as an agenda for mandatory vaccination and some kind of tracking of American citizens. I don't care whether it's a, 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 an armband or a bracelet or a microchip. It's a bad idea. It's an un-American idea just as mandatory vaccination is an un-American idea. So I do think that there are people who are using the pandemic, regardless of how it started. And I do think China is responsible. They're certainly responsible for lying about it and covering it up and uh, losing precious time. And it was only the act of Donald Trump closing down travel from China that saved lives. The mainstream media is going crazy trying to bury that undisputable fact. Uh, but it is uh, it has been a distraction. Uh, it is my greatest concern about going to prison at this time because they're letting nonviolent prisoners out uh, at a time that they want to incarcerate me. Obviously, there's huge speculation that the president may either commute my sentence or pardon me. I can tell you, David, no pardon has been promised to me. I can tell you I have made no formal application for a pardon. I have prayed for a pardon. But here's the thing about Donald Trump. Nobody tells him what to do, and nobody tells him what not to do. He is his own man. He will weigh all of the issues and make a judgment. He's already figured out that the people who tried to take him down have taken me down. He's already said that I didn't have a fair trial. It was a miscarriage of justice that the head juror was a Trump hater who said that all Trump supporters are racist. She said that in a 2019 uh, Facebook posting. Well, that would include me, would include you too. Uh, he, she called the president the head Klansman. How can such a person be impartial and indifferent as the Supreme Court insists on sitting in judgment on Roger Stone? My trial was an inherently political trial. And then we get to this whole question of sentencing. Uh, and the career prosecutors who recommended seven to nine years, first they fudged the facts. I did not violate a gag order by publishing a book about the Mueller investigation. My book was published on February 9th, and the gag order was put in place on February 12th. That's an indisputable fact. I did not threaten a federal judge by putting a crosshair over her face. I published a, a photo that was the watermarked trademark logo of an organization that created an image. But I did apologize to the judge 
for and took responsibility for posting an image that was subject to misinterpretation and meant to threaten no one. Uh, but I got extra time for that. Uh, I also did not tell Alex Jones to to uh, broadcast to the world uh, that uh, you know that my 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 uh, trial was corrupt. I hadn't talked to Alex Jones, but that was deemed a violation of the gag order. I got six extra months for that. Uh, this has been an extraordinarily one-sided process. Um, and sure, I am hoping for mercy and justice, uh, but it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands and the hands of the president if he should make such a decision. More than that, I do not know. Well, I know the president is definitely paying close attention. I know he was asked just uh, a couple of days ago on a press conference specifically about uh, a pardon for you, uh, Manafort, Flynn. I know he is very privy to what's going on. And I, I truly, brother, don't think that you're going to spend a day in jail. Maybe maybe community service, maybe time served. I don't know. But that's a, it's a gut feeling I have. And we're going to pray and believe that for you. And uh, patriots take take care of patriots, and our president is a patriot, and you, sir, are a patriot. Um, it would be an absolute travesty for you to for you to spend one hour in jail after what you've gone through, after what the dirty cops of the deep state, Mueller and his band of uh, lying cops, what they have done to you it would be absolute travesty for you to go through even one more uh, one more situation like that, especially especially. Well to propose a seven to nine year sentence, to propose a seven to nine year sentence, basically penalizing me for a bunch of things that didn't happen. Uh, and then the career prosecutors resigned in, pro in protest, except for none of them were career prosecutors. Aaron Zelinsky worked for Hillary Clinton as a political appointee at the State Department. Uh, the, the, uh, the Jonathan Kravis, the U.S. attorney worked in the Obama White House as a deputy counsel to the president. These are political operatives. They're not career line prosecutors, as the CNN would tell you. Uh, and they never actually withdrew the recommendation of seven to nine years. The government came in with a second recommendation saying, here's the range. Uh, and it was the judge who decided my fate. Now, in the dressing down, she she basically uh, gave a speech attacking me for 45 minutes. She said I was convicted of covering up for Donald Trump. I was not charged with that. There was no evidence proving that at trial. And that is not what I was convicted of. I was convicted because I refused to bear false witness against Donald Trump. Uh, it, it, this is, uh, it, it is Kafka-esque that in the blink of an eye in America, you can lose everything, David. You're right to make a living, your savings, your home, the stress it puts on your family, your liberties can disappear like that. It, it's, it is very, very scary. It reminds you of the dangers of 19, uh, of, um, of the police state. Uh, and now for people who want to help me, they can sign a petition to the president at freerogerstone.com. Three quarters of a million people have already signed uh, which I am very grateful for. You can go there to freerogerstone.com. Uh, and these lawyers are extraordinarily expensive. Uh, I spent everything I raised, over $2 million, uh, in my first trial. My war chest is depleted. I may have to file an appeal. We don't know. 
I may have to file additional legal acts to try to protect myself in the coronavirus uh, uh, crisis. People can go to stonedefensefund.com, stonedefensefund.com. Uh, there are no limits on contributions. They can be personal. They can be business. They are not publicly disclosed. Uh, but I appreciate the millions of Americans who are praying for me and my family and who have funded my fight against the deep state. You know, Richard Nixon once said, a man is not finished when he is defeated. He is only finished when he quits. I am not a quitter. I will never quit trying to win exoneration and get back my good name. I'm proud of everything I did to convince Donald Trump to run for president and to help him from the sidelines because there is no Karl Rove in Trump land. Donald Trump is his own strategist, his own speechwriter, his, his own uh, press spokesman. He's brilliant. Uh, and there's one man responsible for the election of Donald Trump. That is Donald Trump. And he did this at great personal expense. He didn't need it because he needed to become better known. He didn't do it because he wanted a nicer house or a better plane. He didn't do it because he wanted the pomp and circumstance of being president. He was already the best known business person in the world. He is losing literally billions of dollars by serving as president. You know why he did it? Because he didn't like seeing what was happening to America. He did it for us. He did it for the taxpayers. This, is, this has been a terrible burden. The vituperation, the attacks on his family day in and day out. Oh, he recommended a medicine for coronavirus because he owns stock in the company. He's hoping to profiteer. That was ridiculous. That was absurd. So uh, I give the guy enormous credit. Here's what people don't understand. I work for some very tough guys. I work for Richard Nixon. I work for Senator Bob Dole. Donald Trump is the single toughest human being I have ever met. Don't try to talk him out of a goal once he sets his mind to do something. It is impossible. He is stubborn. I mean that in a positive sense. He is, he is resolute and he is tough as nails. He is the right man at the right time to save this country from going over the cliff of globalism. That's exactly where we were headed, too. It's exactly where the Democrats would like to take us, where Hillary was, would love to take us. It's, I think it's the, uh, it's the floor, it's the opening that uh, Obama led us to. Um, he, he created the foundation for that, and, and the president uh, becoming the president of the United States, Donald Trump has put an absolute stop to that. Um, share, with me, share with me in our audience, if you can, some of the conversations you've had to have, you know, uh, not the conversations the judge wants to know about. I know nothing was going on there. But before the president took office, do you remember or recall any of the conversations that maybe you and, and Donald had at that time before he was president, obviously, where you were just talking about the current state of our country or our economy, where you could just hear or sense that Donald Trump just at some point may make the decision to, to run for president? Well, First of all, the mainstream media always believed that it was a big tease, that, that in 2000 and 2012 and even early in, 20, in the 2015 period, that he was just burnishing the Trump brand name, but that he was never really going to run. I knew that that was not true. Um, he had great remorse over his decision to endorse Mitt Romney. After every debate, he would call me and say, what is wrong with this guy? He has no instinct for the jugular. He doesn't know how to go on the attack. He's apologizing for this and that. This guy's a loser. 
and he was indeed a loser, still is. Uh, when I called him on New Year's Day in 20, I guess it would be 2013, as it has been my custom for many years, called him in Palm Beach to wish him Happy New Year, he said, you know, I should have run. And I said, yes, I think you should have as well. And he said, next time I'm running. And I said, well, I've heard that before. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I have already taken out the trademark application for Make America Great as a campaign slogan. I am running next time. Uh, and I realized there was a that he was going to do it. Uh, and the mainstream media continued to believe that he was just a cartoon character from New York and that he wasn't serious and so on. They had no idea that the American people were so fed up with career politicians of both parties, and they were so uh, fed up with phoniness and uh, and the entire process of, of politics where you take a poll to find out what to say to be popular and then you say it, they were ready for somebody genuine, somebody authentic, somebody who spoke from the heart. Here's the thing about Donald Trump. He isn't always eloquent, but he's always articulate. You always know exactly what he thinks. He's not worrying about, well, will this be popular? Maybe it'll be unpopular. No, he says what's in his heart. That's why I think people connect with him. They know he's not a, uh, you know, a fabricated candidate created by some political consultants based on polling. He's the real deal. He's the only president in modern times you can probably say that about. As much as I loved Ronald Reagan, as much as I loved President Nixon, uh, this guy is, he's different than any of those cats. He's not a politician. He's a political figure. There's a big difference. He is a leader who understands leadership. That's why I think he's been very well suited to this coronavirus crisis, because he is a bold decision maker. He's used to being the CEO of a company where you make a decision and your orders are carried out. And in this instance, that is the case. Uh, I really believe he's the right man in the right time. Uh, I also believe God put him here at this time. Again, he's doing this at huge financial uh, expense to himself and his family, plus taking the crap from the mainstream media day in and day out a lesser man would have buckled by now. He just lets it roll off his back. Yes. I know uh, I was in the Oval Office just a little over a month ago, and uh, I remember seeing him at the inauguration, you know, three and a half years ago, um, or just a little over three years ago, January. And he doesn't look like he's aged of one bit. Where other presidents within months, especially after one year, they've turned gray, they've gotten a lot more wrinkles. If anything, the president looks just as young as when he stepped foot in office. No, I think he's really grown into the job. So David, I have to move on down the road. Let me thank you again for this opportunity to spill my guts. and so much on my heart that I wanted to tell people about this, this travesty of justice. Uh, and uh, I just ask people to pray for me and my family for justice and fairness at the end of the day. All of my trust is in God and in this president. Absolutely, we will. And please share with my audience again um, the two websites, and I'll make sure that they're up on the screen for this, the two websites to support you financially. We go where? So to help pay for my legal defense, go to stonedefensefund.com. Uh, and to sign the petition to the president for a pardon, go to freerogerstone.com. Uh, Stone Defense Fund takes PayPal, takes credit cards, or there's a, if you don't believe in any of that stuff, there's an address where you can mail a check. Uh, 
if I need to appeal, it could cost more than a million dollars. So I'm back in the fundraising business. I've been destroyed personally, financially. I have no choice but to count on the millions of people who support this president and support me in my fight for justice. Thank you and God bless you all. Well, thank you, Roger, so very much. We will, uh, I'll stay very much akin to your story. I'd love to hear from you more again. And I'm gonna encourage all my audience to both sign that petition and support Roger with, uh, with whatever amount you can. This patriot needs our support. So God bless you all. Thank you so much, Roger, for uh, spending a little bit of your time with me. And if you appreciated this podcast, please share it. Please spread the word about it. Uh, share it with five, ten friends. And make sure you go sign that petition and support Roger and send him what you can. This patriot needs our love and our support and our prayers. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.